Good old Rocky Top. Rocky Top, Tennessee. I don't know why I'm singing this song. It has nothing to do with Colorado bus football, but I wanted to sing it, so y'all got to deal with it. That's my future career, maybe. Maybe a professional singer. So in all seriousness, this is the Dana Nick Show. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. We've hit episode 3-0, the big 30, not 31, not 28, not 27.62, number 30. And this week, we are going to be breaking down the Colorado Buffs spring preview for the 2020 upcoming football season. So if you've been here before, you know what to expect. Dane's always coming through with great facts, and I do the best I can to do whatever I do. I don't know what I do, but I'm here to do it. So that's what I'm talking about, baby. So, so without further ado or further randomness, let's uh, let's get into the Colorado Buffs kind of big picture here. This is, this is going to be my introduction. Dane's going to break down the schedule in its entirety at the end of the show. He's going to talk about some administrative type stuff and recruiting and a little bit of roster personnel in his intro. And for me, I'm going to break down the roster and some players to spotlight regarding next year's upcoming 2020 season. But before I do that, Let's right now kind of look at the program in its entirety. Let's slow it down here and let's see what we're dealing with. So first and foremost, Mel Tucker's gone. <laughs> Sorry, Colorado. Y'all mad? Y'all salty he left. He took that money. He's off the Michigan State, boy. He's out of here. So um, yeah, in all seriousness, Mel Tucker is gone. And he did a very good job rebuilding the buffs in his one year he was there, leading them to five and seven mark last year. Three and six in the conference, which was uh, good for second to last in the South Division. But really, they didn't have high expectations. And they're playing a lot of last season with um, their star wideout, LaVisca Chenault Jr. injured. So they did have some impressive wins last year against Nebraska, Arizona State, and UW and Stanford. So there is some kind of momentum to build on. Obviously, the program is probably going to take a step back this year. But I don't think that's due to the coaching change necessarily. Granted, I think that Mel Tucker is a standout coach. He's some seriously national championship type defensive pedigree. So he is going to be hard to replace. But I believe the new man for the job is pretty solid. And if you don't know who that is, well, I'm about to tell you. And if you do want to know, I'm still about to tell you. And if I don't want to tell you, okay, you get to the point. I'm I'm done with that little rant there. So Carl Durrell is the new man. Essentially his background information. He played 11 years at UCLA. 11 years as an assistant coach in college, or excuse me, he played his college ball at UCLA, 11 years as assistant coach in college, 13 years as assistant in the, in the NFL, and five years as previously mentioned as UCLA's head coach. And so he was the head coach of the Bruins from 2003 to 2007. He finished with a 35 and 27 overall mark in Westwood. For me though, the one kind of thing that stands out is he was one in three in bowl games and he had one conference coach of the year award, which I thought was pretty cool to see for sure. So There are kind of some question marks with him, especially regarding kind of his hefty salary. He has a five-year contract for $3.2 million per year. Some people in Colorado feel he's the absolute savior of the program, going to continue building on what Mel Mel Tucker left off. Other people are wondering why Colorado and the Buffs Nation didn't hire kind of, you know, a guy with a bigger name for that type of money. But again, I think that Carl Durrell is going to be a solid coach. Again, he had one 10-2 season at UCLA. Um, essentially made some bowl games, but uh, Dane will actually dive into that a little bit deeper later on. So I think they're going to be all right. And I, again, I do think he's a good coach, but this first year is going to be very tough. I think that a lot of people don't realize that Mel Tucker did walk into a good situation last year. He had senior quarterback in Steven Montez and two solid wideouts in LaVisca Schnault Jr. and Tony Brown. 
Uh, LaVisca Schnault Jr. is an absolute stud NFL player now, and he was just a train in college. <laughs> no one could stop him. I, I truly love LaVisca Schnault's game, and he could be used in a variety of weapons, uh, running back a wide out. He played when he was injured, so kind of Tucker did walk into some good things last year. On top of that, he had Tony Brown. Not sure if I mentioned that, but he was a very solid second wideout. So, again, last season, Mel Tucker had a senior quarterback and two solid wideouts, and he walked into a fairly decent position for his first year. Well, Carl Durrell is not getting <laughs> that same option. I wish I could tell you he is. LaVisca Schnault's gone. Tony Brown's gone. Steven Montes is gone. And there's a lot of uncertainty. I really see a tough year for the Buffs. I think that Durrell in the long run can build this program back up. But in the short term here, just, yeah, this first year is going to be pretty darn rough. So without further ado, I'm going to end up my introduction here with pretty much saying that Colorado's going to be pretty freaking bad this year. <laughs> I will break down their roster in my next segment, but I always want to leave in a positive note, spread some positive energy. The Pac-12 South is wide open this year. Utah lost a ton of players to the NFL draft. USC has a bad recruiting year and... Even though they're projected to win the conference, or excuse me, win the North by a lot of people. Okay, can I say that right? Win the South by a lot of people. I don't. I just don't necessarily see it. There's a lot of kind of lingering problems felt throughout the program, but maybe they can shift that. But either way, what I'm trying to say is the South is weak. There's no clear-cut favorite. If you had to pick one, it's going to be ASU or USC. But neither of these teams can be considered elite or premier or any other word you want to use that's synonymous with those terms. So again... I think Colorado's going to have a very, very bad year, but we should see. The South is wide open. Without that, without that, without further ado, I'm going to send it down to Dane. He's going to get you started from Tucson. What's like the temperature out there, bro? Like 742 degrees. That was just normal in Tucson. In Seattle, it's 70 and sunny. I know you think it's rainy, but it is 70 and sunny. In all seriousness, it's always great to hear from you and Dane, and I'm going to kick it down to Tucson. All right, yeah, thanks, Nick. Checking in from Tucson here. We're going to have a 107-degree day on Friday or so. So we are right in the thick of summer. But um, this past week, been a lot of positive developments. Uh, multiple states' coronavirus actions have been uh, limited, and things seem to be trending in the right direction across the country and, in fact, across the world. So that leads me to believe that we're going to have a college football season. Uh, this is the best I felt about it. And... I don't know, several weeks, and I think it's going to start on time. The question is whether or not fans will be in attendance at the beginning of the year or if we're going to have some schedule modifications. That is not quite clear at this point, and we probably won't know until June or July. Uh, but it seems that the conference has cleared the return of players to uh, their universities returning to campus at the beginning of June here. And they can start, um, you know, preparing for the season, which is really important. But pivoting to the buffs, uh, losing Mel Tucker was a, you know, a substantial blow that nobody really saw coming. The way that he left was really, uh, you know, not good. Um, he said he wasn't going to leave. He said he wasn't, I guess, didn't do an interview out there in Michigan State or that he wouldn't accept it. And then, you know, he won 80 and took the job. I think he might have even been their second choice. Um, and their number one option said no, and then so they offered the position to Tucker, and he ended up taking the role, which, you know, it's kind of like, I don't want to say it's a backstab, but it's a little bit, um, leaves a bad taste in the mouth of Colorado fans, and really just as a Pac-12, you know, objective commentator in general, I did not like how that shook down, 
out there in Boulder. But the best, uh, the best positive from his one year there uh, in Boulder was the recruiting class he put together. He's ranked 36 nationally. So that's um, one of the best classes they've had in the Pac-12 era. It really only compares to their 2017 class. That was just above that in the national rankings. They were at 35. This one's at 36. But even with 36 rank, national rank, they're still 7th in the Pac-12, which will let you know you know where they fall in the whole scheme of things. But have a few good four-stars. Looks like three four-stars. I think the best one's going to be Jason Harris. He's a defensive end out of Arizona. And um, they also got a running back, Ashad Clayton. Um, he's their highest-rated prospect, 171st nationally. Um, so that's a, it's a good freshman running back that's going to hit the ground running. Probably will play a lot. And Christian Gonzalez is the other four-star. He's a safety out of Texas, ranked number 326 overall. Um, they also have a pretty good wide receiver coming in named Brendan Rice. He's out of Chandler. He's just outside the top 400, uh, ranked 412. And uh, they also have eight early enrollees, which is always good. Although with uh, coronavirus putting off spring ball, it kind of negates everything. But uh, dual threat quarterback Brendan Lewis. So this is probably going to be the future of the bus program, depending on um, how Carl Durrell recruits and if they choose to go after other quarterbacks. But this freshman has the ability uh, at least to you know contend for the starting role out there in Boulder. Uh, and then you also have two transfers that are immediately eligible. Um, the most important one being the tight end from UCLA, Matt Lynch. Uh, so he's a grad transfer, uh, 6'4", 235. So it gives you some, um, you know, pass catching ability off the line. And uh, the other one is Brendan Payne. He's outside linebacker. Uh, at least had some depth there on the defense. Um and there's two other transfers that are have some appeals that are pending. Jake Peters, uh, tight end from Arizona. And the big one is Antonio Alfano, defensive end from Alabama. And so if you can get that defensive end from Alabama immediately eligible, combine him with Jason Harris, that's a pretty good front line on the defensive side. And um, another cornerback or another transfer, he's a cornerback who I find uh, to be interesting, is uh, Nigel Bethel. He's a Miami transfer from the University of Miami. Um, and if he can get an uh, immediate eligibility, that would be um, good to add some depth over there uh, in the secondary. But yeah, I will break down their schedule at the end of this episode. But um, as I mentioned, Carl Durrell, you know, new, uh, new coach, and really his best, um, I guess the best way for them to continue the recruiting upswing is to, you know, continue to lock down Texas and Colorado. I think those are two good recruiting grounds, um, for the buffs along with Arizona and of course, California. But if you're able to, you know, consistently recruit Colorado, Texas, uh, and Arizona and California, um, you're going to have a pretty good, you know, incoming class every year. And ideally, you want to keep it around here on the top 40 and move up eventually to a top 25. But we don't really know how well Durrell is going to recruit. Um, he hasn't been in college game for a while. It was in the mid-2000s with UCLA. He had a decent run there. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. Led them to a few straight bowl games. 
which is pretty much all you can ask for if you're the Buffs at this point. is a, is a bowl game in his first year. I think that's a lofty expectation, and you never really know how it'll shake down. But uh, I'll break down their schedule uh, at the end of this episode. I'll throw it back up to Nick uh, up there in rainy Seattle. Okay, guys, I may try and come through with a little bit less jokes. I'm going to be factual and break down the roster of the Colorado Buffaloes football teams, and they play in the city of Boulder, which is located in the Rocky Mountains. Scratch that. Let's break down their roster now. Probably coming through with some sass. Y'all got to deal with it. So, obviously, when you're breaking down a roster, you want to start the quarterback. And Wolfrey, Colorado... It's just so uncertain this year. And usually I like to do a deep dive on quarterbacks, but it's pretty pointless this year. I mean, at least this point in the season or the offseason, however you want to phrase it. So you're looking at a couple names to remember. You have Tyler Lytle. He was highly recruited, but it doesn't really appear that he's going to be ready for the starting spot. And in 2019, he was actually injured on his first pass attempt. Not really sure what that says going forward. So I actually don't mean to laugh at that. I like that fun, but kid getting injured isn't funny just... So, my bad, y'all. But in all seriousness, he was injured on his first pass attempt in 2019. I'm not sure if that's an indication of just unluckiness or really he's just not going to be the right guy in a sign of future troubles to come. Another name to remember is going to be Blake Stenstrom. He was a solid four-star recruit in terms of his recruiting stature. Pretty big guy, 6'4", 220, and has been rumored to have solid touch, so from kind of fit throws over the linebacker in front of safeties, that sort of thing. But from all the sources I'm hearing, doesn't really appear ready to start. And as of last season, they didn't even put him in in blowouts. So that's <laughs> not a sign that he's going to be the guy. A third name to consider is going to be a freshman. And that's going to be Brendan Lewis. He was an incoming recruit. And so again, nothing to go off of. But those are the three names you can go off of. Or I guess kind of keep in the back of your head. And it's going to again be Brendan Lewis, Tyler Lytle, and Blake Stenstrom. So at the quarterback position, a lot of uncertainty, making Carl Durrell's job a lot harder. But what do we know on offense? We know that the quarterback's going to be pretty bad. So I mean, I mean new. I mean bad. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the offensive line really doesn't look solid. Going to need some help. So they could really be in for a long, long, long year. But there are some bright spots. And there seriously are a couple of players on Colorado's roster who could hold down the fort next year. The first and most notable name to remember is going to be Alex Fontenot. He's a running back. Six feet tall, 195 pound junior. And last year, actually I'm not sure what class he is, but six feet, 195 pounds. Last year had 874 yards in the ground and five touchdowns and averaged 4.7 yards per carry. So pretty solid, you know, in terms of stats, 874 yards, nothing to wag your finger at. But again, that's kind of predicated with LaVisca Chanel and Tony Brown drawing a lot of attention and opening up running lanes up front. So that's one thing you just always have to consider without the deep threats down the field it's probably going to really even limit the buffs even further. And last year, their offense was not good. Let me pull up the stat here, where they finished last year. Let's see. Do I still have it? I can't find it. But essentially, oh, I guess I do have here. So they finished 100th in the nation, only scoring 23.5 points per game. In 2019, they, they ranked um, 23rd in the nation in total offense. And the buffs are in the lower half of 130 FBS teams in most team metrics. So... Needless to say, that's not a ringing endorsement. 
But again, there are some positives, and Alex Fonsenot could be the guy to take over a truly struggling offense. So again, last season, 874 yards on the ground, five touchdowns, and slightly less than five per carry. Also at 27 catches for 122 yards. You can consider him the bell cow last year. Essentially, he was just that guy who got the handoffs. Maybe he didn't get the big plays all the time, but was able to gash out some few yards, wear down the defense, and open up lanes for the big passing attack. If you want to look at another name to remember, it's going to be Jaron Mangham, also another running back. Probably more physical, more size. He could be that kind of unknown player who develops and takes the buffs to the next level. Don't quote me on that. Not saying he will. That's for darn sure. But let's try and put a positive spin on it. He could be the guy. He's six foot two, 215 pounds. And last year averaged 4.1 yards per carry, 441 yards in the round, and three touchdowns. Only 10 catches for 41 yards or caught 10 passes for 41 yards. The one thing you can really kind of hang your hat on is he did have a couple of nice runs. So there could be some potential that we haven't seen yet. And again, someone has to kind of move the ball in a struggling offense, or hopefully at least for the buffs. You would think that someone can move the ball. And he could be a one-two dangerous punch with um, Alex Fontenot. Then, you know, Mangham being the dash or the gash. Let's go with the gash. He's a little bit bigger. And Alex Fontenot maybe can increase his speed in the offseason and become the dash into that little combo. That's the throwing out of old school Pac-12, USC, lightning and thunder type stuff. Dash and gash, bash, whatever. Bash bros, baby. Jose Canseco, Mark... <laughs> Whoa, I stuttered when I tried to say Mark McGuire there. Got something in my throat, throat. So, seriously... The two names to remember are going to be the two halfbacks and Jaron Mangham and running back Alex Fontenot. And if you want to look at a third guy to kind of round out the group, I think he's probably going to be the bus most formidable weapon. And that's going to be Katie Nixon at wide receiver. Pretty small, 5'8", 185 pounds. But he has the potential to really kind of do multiple things on the field in terms of taking jet sweeps, quick slants, deep balls down the field. You're not going to obviously lob him up to win a one-on-one matchup against a taller cornerback. But he does have the potential and the speed to make a lot of things happen on the field. Last year, had some pretty solid productivity, 35 passes for 465 yards, three touchdowns. He also ran the ball five times for 19 yards. And again, doesn't have the ideal size, but his ability to create some separation and, you know, kind of win on some vertical routes can really benefit the buffs. If there's anything else to say about Katie Nixon is he may not be the biggest statistical guy, but he gives the defense some sort of speed to worry about. And when you're on a struggling offense with limited talent, that's really all you can ask for. So I do think Katie Nixon could be a pretty big weapon. So again, the three names to remember on offense for the buffs, Alex Fontenot and Jaron Mangham at halfback or running back, however you want to phrase it, and Katie Nixon at wideout. On the defense side of the ball, you only got two real names to go for. I'm going to give you three just because I want to do it for y'all. I want to give you some love, Buffs Nation. I've been making fun of you a lot and probably about to do it again. Y'all going to suck this year. <laughs> just saying. So, um... In all seriousness, they do have one amazing player. He's all first team Pac-12 defense last year, and that's going to be linebacker Nate Landman, otherwise known as the Hammer. In 2019, had 113 total tackles, 83 solo, two sacks, one interception, and and four pass deflections. But again, more so than the stats, and 113 total tackles is absolutely amazing. He's that intimidator on defense. I was watching some highlights for him for some work I did a couple weeks ago, and the man can hit. You do not want to be hit by him. He doesn't have that kind of... Elite speed, you know, going to maybe break up the tosses, or not break up the tosses, but stretch out the toss, stretch out the stretches. (laughs) Didn't see that one coming, but you get what I'm saying. But if he does hit you, he can give you a little boom, a little thwack, and that's something that a struggling team always needs. Just a little intimidator, especially on the football field. So seriously, linebacker Nate Landman, I've been making fun of the buffs a lot. He's a stud. Maybe a future NFL player. Not, I'm not 100% sold on that, but at the college level, he's going to be absolutely dominant. 
And he was the only player in the Buffs uh, defense last year to be selected for all Pac-12 first team or second team. So by default, he's going to have to be their adjunct leader. You want to look at another name to remember? That's going to be defensive end Mustafa Johnson. Had a pretty solid sophomore year with 7.5 sacks and 52 total tackles, including 31 solos. But in 2019, his production dropped with only 4.5 sacks and one forced fumble. So also recovered a fumble. But just the last year was pretty not good. I mean, 4.5 sacks isn't like anything to really think about twice. But again, his sophomore year was solid. So I think that he could return to his sophomore year form. He probably learned some things from Mel Tucker. Boston fans do not want to hear that name again. But again, Mel Tucker is has a great defensive pedigree. And hopefully something he taught uh, Mustafa Johnson rubs off onto the entire defense. Again, could be solid. And before um, last season, both Johnson and Landman were named to the Bednark Award watch list, which essentially award given to the most outstanding defensive players in college football. So these guys do have, you know, some sort of uh, reputations, something to build on at least. And going back to Johnson, he has an explosive first step in good timing. And he only played in eight games last year, which leads me to believe he struggled with injuries. I don't know this per se. If he just got benched, well, that's not a good sign. But again, he could be the guy. And one thing I did want to say regarding his stats I've seen mixed things on a variety of sites. Can y'all just get your stats on the same page? On Colorado, on certain websites, like out of Colorado directly, in other national websites, the stats are different. So should I be going with the local or the national sources? I did my best to scour through the research and get you the official stats. I went with the ones that look more realistic to me. But again, just double check it for yourself. I, I seriously triple checked it and felt like every source of different stats. But regardless of that, just want to say, seriously, the names to remember are going to be linebacker Nate Landman, the hammer, baby. The hammer. He's a beast. He's really freaking good, for real. And uh, defensive end Mustafa Johnson. Really, if he can return back to his sophomore year form, they could have a pretty solid front seven with those two leading the way. Just to give you kind of name in the secondary, you have safety Darian Rakestraw. He's played like wide receiver, cornerback, wrangled to Buffalo, moved to Nebraska, and came back. <laughs> he's, a, he's seriously done a lot of things for the program. <laughs> I even know sometimes. Sometimes I just don't know. But um, seriously, Darian, Darian Rakestraw is going to be senior. Six foot two, 200 pounds. Last year, 38 tackles, three tackles for loss, three interceptions, and five pass breakups. So those are going to be the three names to remember on the defensive side of the ball. In the secondary, Darian Rakestraw at the defensive end spot, Mustafa Johnson, and in the linebacker cores, Nate Landman. Nate Landman is for sure going to be the leader of the group. And I think who knows? Maybe compare the defense to New Heights. But again, last year, they really did struggle. And uh, they're also kind of one of the worst teams in the nation. And they allowed, or actually, they're 96 in the nation, allowing 31.8 points per game. So a lot to improve on there for sure. But we'll just have to wait and see how it turns out. For me, that's all I got from Seattle this week. As always, I had a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. I'm trying to think of something random to like rel you guys right now. Rel? We'll just roll with the random word rel. So in all seriousness, maybe it's not coming to me today. Maybe I've fun made fun of Colorado enough. I'm going to send it down to Dane in Tucson. He's going to break down the schedule for y'all. From Seattle, like I said, baby, it's beautiful. It's 70 degrees out here, and I'm sitting here doing a podcast for you guys. Come on now. I may want to be outside. But seriously, thanks for tuning in. Dane, take us out. All right. So taking a peek at the bus schedule, non-conference games against Colorado State, Fresno State, and Texas A&M. That's a bit of a challenging non-conference schedule. The Colorado State game is not a given, though I would expect the Buffs to win. It's a great rivalry, and 
really this could be a, a really important game, you know, for the trajectory of this season. If you lose that one, it's going to be a rough year. Even if you do win that one, it may still end up being a rough year. Um, so that game in, on the 5th of September is a big matchup, important for the whole season. So assuming that they win that one, start you know the season off right on the right foot, the following week they host Fresno State. This should be an interesting matchup. The Bulldogs, you know, that's the Mountain West. That conference is probably a little bit underrated, and there's some good players in that division. Uh, but I do think the Buffs can win this game against Fresno State because out there on Boulder leads me to believe that, you know, they can win, and they probably should win, but I'm not going to be shocked if they lose to Fresno State. And then third week is Texas A&M. And you can pretty much chalk that one up as a loss unless something crazy happens. So at the end of the non-conference season, um, your best bet is going to be 2-1. and one, And your worst bet is 0-3. Oh so in the end, you probably win at least one. And really that Colorado State game at the, to start the year off is huge. Uh, and then to start the conference year off, uh, host the Ducks. You know, if you remember what happened last season... Up in Eugene, it was, you know, not a pretty game. And it was basically an Oregon blowout. So, yeah, you know, that's probably the same thing that's going to happen. It's the opener of the conference season. Um, A lot of fans are going to be hyped. Should be a good atmosphere out there in Boulder. But it is the Ducks. They're going to be rolling. And they're probably going to win by, you know, three or four touchdowns. And the following week after that, head to Tucson uh, to face the Wildcats. This is going to be a really tough game. Arizona is going to look at this as one of the ones that they can win. Both teams are going to be really motivated. Both teams are going to think, you know, they have a chance to win and probably should win. They feel, you know, this is this is a rivalry. I, I don't want to, you know, sugarcoat it or anything like that. I think the Arizona-Colorado, it started in basketball at the beginning um, with uh, Zapatino Chen. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And there was some controversy on a last-second shot. That uh, was waved off, even though it looked like he got it off his fingertips in time. Arizona won that game. And that's just how the the bad blood started between the two programs in the Pac-12 era. And, you know, Khalil Tate has done terrible things to the Colorado defense, and he's finally gone. So now it's going to be Grant Gannell and brand new era out there and Boulder. So who knows how um, Durrell will motivate his players for that game. But I got to hand that one to Arizona just because it's on the road in Tucson. Following week is a matchup with UCLA. This is definitely a winnable game. Um, Colorado can win this one. Uh, I don't think they will. I think UCLA is a little bit better than people expect this season. And so I I think the Bruins are going to win this one. The fact that it's on the road up there in Boulder with the elevation is definitely the X factor. And I would not be shocked if the Buffs won, but I would be a little bit surprised. That being said, it's a winnable game. Uh, I don't want to call it a toss-up because I think that's um, I think it's more likely than not that UCLA wins, but the Buffs definitely have a chance. The following week is another home game. This one's against the Sun Devils. Uh, Herm Edwards comes up there to Boulder. Um, yeah, last year this was one of the few victories that the Buffs got over ASU, and they're going to be looking for revenge. They're going to be looking to get them back, looking to you know make it even, and. That X factor, that extra motivation is probably going to what is the difference in the game, uh, both preparation, 
and just willingness to make certain plays, uh, put their bodies on the line. Arizona State probably forces um, a few key turnovers, which really decides the game in the second half. Though I think the first half probably closer than some people expect. And the following week is a trip out to USC. That's on Halloween. And, yeah, I think the Trojans are going to be much improved this season. Um, I think they have a chance to win the South for sure. They're going to be the the favorite as we get closer and closer. They already are the favorite. But uh, I think it's going to become, at this point in the season, a big game to separate the Trojans from, you know, maybe the Sun Devils or the Utes uh, in the South race. So they're going to be motivated to win this game. It's one of those ones you can't really lose if you're the Trojans. And they probably win it pretty handily. Uh, and then the following week, Colorado hosts Washington State. So this is a winnable game without a doubt. Um, the Cougs are in a brand new system, brand new quarterback, you know, brand new coach. They're in the similar boat that as the Buffs. And so that really evens the playing field. And the fact that it's out there in Boulder and that elevation, you know, with the home crowd advantage. And, I, you know, this is a tough one. I want to lean towards Washington State, but this is a true toss-up. This is a 50-50 chance. Either of these programs could win. It really depends on how both are playing at that time of the season and really the motivation for either, um, let's say, you know, the Buffs eke out a few of these wins that maybe they weren't favored to win, and at this point in the season they're at four or five and they're looking to get into a bowl game. This could be a huge matchup. Uh, A similar thing could be said about the Cougars. Um, if they surprise a few teams and they're at four or five wins at this point of the year, they're going to be fighting for a bowl game as well. So this is a, a sneaky good matchup. The teams are going to be really evenly matched. Two new um, you know, coaches at these programs, uh, first time they're going to face each other, really has the you know, opportunity or potential to set up, a, I don't want to say a rivalry, but you know, a bit of uh, a measuring stick for both programs um, you know, to measure themselves by whoever wins that game. In the following week after that, I think this is another winnable game for the Buffs. It's at Stanford. I haven't been on the Stanford train for about a year, and that's not going to change. So I think Colorado can win this one. The fact that it's out there on the farm, you know, makes me lean more towards the tree. But um, that being said, I think Colorado can win. Though I think Stanford would be favored, but the Buffs definitely have a chance there. And the following week is another road game against UW out there in Seattle. This is probably going to be a pretty easy win for the Dogs. Um, Colorado might give them um, a bit of a game in the first half or at least the first quarter, but I think Washington ends up pulling away and wins pretty handily. Um, It is a new coach up there, new quarterback up there, so uh, that levels the playing field a little bit. But, um, yeah, I just don't see the Buffs beating UW in Seattle in the first year under Durrell. So, and then the final game of the year, rivalry matchup with Utah games in Boulder. This one, it's a rivalry game, so anybody can win. You know, the Utes are going to be, uh, well, you really don't know what the Utes are going to be. They could be fighting for a South championship in this game. They could be um, at six wins and locked into a bowl or seven wins and locked into a bowl, and not really in the South division hunt. Uh, They're going to have their new quarterbacks. They have two of them, and it's not clear who's going to be the starter. They lost a lot of production on defense, but they also have, you know, consistent recruiting class that they've had for, you know, the last five years. So it's the exact 
same level of talent that they're going to have coming in. And really what that program does is they build up their their recruits. They develop their players. So the drop-off is not going to be as much, I think, as some people expect. So I'm going to go ahead and toss that one up to Utah. Though Colorado could win, I think the Utes probably pull that one out. So if you are paying attention closely, the toss-up games are Colorado versus Stanford, um, the Buffs versus Wazoo, and also the UCLA, Arizona, Colorado State, and Fresno State games. So, um, you know, if they're able to eke out a 4-5 win year, that's probably going to meet expectations. Um, if they're able to beat, you know, Wazoo, um, Fresno State, Colorado State, um, you know, that's three wins right there. So if you can upset Arizona um, and, you know, maybe Stanford, then really the game against UCLA might be the deciding factor. If the Buffs beat UCLA and they also beat Fresno State and Colorado State, I have a feeling that they'll make a bowl game, though I think it's an outside possibility. I think they lose in Tucson to Arizona, and so that's going to make that UCLA game huge and a really you know, a catalyst for how the rest of the season goes. That'll be a good barometer in the middle of the season. But again, that opening game against Colorado State is, is big. It's, um, I seem to say this every week, but the opening game is one of the biggest of the season. And if you lose an opening game, your whole season is just on a completely different foot than if you win your opener. And so if they are able to beat Colorado State and Fresno State, then who knows? I mean, they could keep the game closer against Texas A&M than a lot of people think. But you never really know how things are going to shake out with a new quarterback, new coach, a new system. You know, whole it's brand new. So you don't know what you're going to get. don't know what to expect. But in the end, I think anywhere between three to five, maybe all the way up to six wins is the possibility out there in Boulder and Durrell's first year. And really the most important thing from a buff standpoint is recruiting and continue to recruit on the level that um, that they've been recruiting at least the last season, uh, you know, when they had Tucker and what he was able to put together in his first year and also uh, what McIntyre was able to put together in 17. So, um, you know, they kind of have some momentum going on the recruiting end. Um, you're always going to be able to recruit well to Boulder just because of the environment, the atmosphere, the academics, you know, the culture, living out there in the mountains of Colorado. You have a, a bit of an advantage over some of these schools in the Pac-12 and certainly some schools in the Midwest that may have slightly better football programs. And even in Texas, that may have slightly better football programs. But, you know, you don't have the Colorado lifestyle and, you know, the environment up there. So that, that's a big thing that the bus need to focus on. And Durrell needs to um, really hone in when he recruits these kids out of Texas um, Arizona and California. So without, um, you know, really more to go off of, that's what we got for the buffs. And of course, you know, by the middle of the year, we'll have a much better expectation or, um, you know, ability to predict how the rest of their season will go. That opening game though against Colorado state is huge and we'll have a much better sense of the bus if they're able to win that game. And definitely the following week against Fresno state too. Those are two, two big games at the beginning of the year. And I'm looking forward to it. I hope the, um, you know, I hope I hope things go well out there for the next, you know, four or five years. It seems like they've had a bit of a coaching carousel, and really they need some stability. It's unfortunate that, um, you know, you have Tucker who 
just kind of upped and left. But that, that's how it goes in college football sometimes. You make the right hire and you get poached by, you know, a program, a bigger fish program that can offer more money. That's just the way of life at some of the programs, especially in the Pac-12. And it's just something you got to deal with. So uh, on the positive things, positive side, you know, they made the right hire. Athletic department made the right hire with Tucker. So you got to give them the benefit of the doubt and think Darrell is also the right hire. I know a lot of people didn't like it, but he's not a flashy name. But you know what? He had some good um, good years out there in UCLA, consistently making bowl games. And that's really all you can ask for if you're a Buff fan. So, uh, yeah, but other than that, I think we're going to have the season start on time. And it's just a question at this point of whether or not it's going to be in front of fans. We're going to have modified schedules with, you know, no non-conference or however it's going to end up. But until then, uh, I guess we'll see you guys next week and stay safe.